ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So continuing with the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, the last hadith that we covered was the hadith of Abu Hurairah, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu qal, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, min husni islam al-mar'i tarkuhu ma la ya'nihi. That from the beauty of the Islam of an individual is to leave that which does not benefit him. So we covered that last time, this hadith. So the hadith today, عن أبي حمزة أنس بن مالك خادم النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه رواه البخاري ومسلم So in this hadith, of Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu he states that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said none of you truly believes none of you truly believes until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself none of you truly believes i.e. that your iman is not complete and we'll mention that from the explanation until you love for your brother what you love for yourself so this hadith firstly is narrated by Anas ibn Malik. Anas ibn Malik al-Ansari, who was the servant of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. لِأَنَّهُ لَمَّا قَدِمَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ الْمَدِينَةِ هَرَبَ مَالِكْ أَبُوْ أَنَسْ مِنَ الْمَدِينَةِ لِأَنَّهُ كَانَ يَبْغَضُ الرَّسُولَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَهَرَبَ إِلَى الشَّامُ وَمَاتَ هُنَاكَ كَافِرًا When the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, when the Muslims made the hijrah from Mecca, and they came to Medina, the father of Anas ibn Malik, Malik, Malik was the father of Anas ibn Malik. And this individual Malik, he hated the Prophet ﷺ. He was not Muslim. He was not Muslim and he hated the Prophet ﷺ. So when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, he, i.e. this Malik individual, the father of Anas anhu, he fled. He left Medina and he went to Sham. Sham, the area now which is Palestine, Syria, Jordan, all of those areas. So he left Medina and he went because he disliked, he hated the Prophet ﷺ. He was not a Muslim. So when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, he left and he went. And he died in those other countries as a disbeliever. وَكَانَ أَنَسٌ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ طِفْلًا صَغِيرًا 
And Anas radiyallahu anhu was a young child at the time. فَجَاءَتْ بِهِ أُمُّهُ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَقَالَتْ And so the mother of Anas, she came with him, with Anas, to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. And she said, هَذَا أَنَسْ يَخْدُمُكَ That this Anas, he will help you, he will serve you and aid you to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. فَتَقَبَّلَهُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ وَرَبَّاهُ And so the Prophet وسلم, he accepted that. He accepted from the mother of Anas when she offered Anas to be someone who will aid and serve the Prophet وسلم, The Prophet وسلم, accepted that and took Anas in. And Anas radiallahu anhu would then aid and support or serve rather the Prophet وَدَعَالَهُ بِقَوْلِهِ And the Prophet ﷺ made dua for Anas رضي الله عنه اللهم أكثر ماله وولده وبارك له فيما أعطيته That oh Allah increase his wealth and his lineage, his children and put blessings in that which you give him place blessings into that which you give him so Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu began serving the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, aiding him and doing the jobs and the chores for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that were required. Sara yakhdumu al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam khadamahu ashra sinin min heen qadima al-Madinata ila antwufiya. And so Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu from that early young child Hood, he served the Prophet ﷺ for 10 years right up until the Prophet ﷺ died. وَحَازَ بِذَلِكَ فَضِيلَةً عَظِيمَةً And so Anas ibn Malik عنه, he obtained a great virtue from that. He obtained a great virtue from that. From having served and aided the Prophet ﷺ from a young age. And it's mentioned that he would do the jobs and chores, etc. that were required by the Prophet ﷺ, that he would maybe carry some of the lighter equipment when the Prophet ﷺ would go out, and other affairs of that nature. And so he served the Prophet ﷺ for 10 years. For 10 years, ever since the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, up until he died, then in those 10 years, Anas radiallahu anhu was aiding and serving the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَتَرَبَّى عَلَى يَدِ الرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَهَذَا مِنْ حُسْنِ تَصَرُّفِ أُمِّهِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا And so Anas ibn Malik, at the time when the Prophet sallallahu first arrived in Medina, Anas ibn Malik was very young. And from that early age, he began to serve the Prophet ﷺ. So, he ended up growing up with the Prophet ﷺ. From a young age, he was with the Prophet ﷺ. And so Anas anhu grew up in the company of the Prophet ﷺ. Serving the Prophet ﷺ, going into the home of the Prophet ﷺ. He grew up in that way. So he was nurtured in that way by the Prophet ﷺ as Anas grew up. And so this was... From the good action of the mother of Anas. 
the mother of Anas, she the one who took him, she is the one who took him to the Prophet ﷺ, and told the Prophet ﷺ she would like him to serve him. And so the Prophet ﷺ accepted that, and this great virtue occurred for Anas radiallahu anhu, that he grew up in the company of the Prophet ﷺ and serving the Prophet ﷺ. So he narrates this particular narration. And he says that the Prophet said, La yu'minu ahadukum, that none of you believes truly. Meaning, meaning, yani, la yakmulu imanuhu, that your iman cannot be complete. Your iman cannot be complete until you love for others what you love for yourself. Your iman cannot be complete until you love for your Muslim brother or your sister what you love for yourself. Your iman is deficient otherwise. It is not completed and perfected until you have this characteristic. It does not mean as some people may mistakenly understand when the hadith says that none of you believes until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. Some people may think this means that you're not a believer, you're not a Muslim. Your iman is finished. You don't have any iman until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. That isn't the meaning. You have iman. But it's not complete and perfect until you have this characteristic of loving for your Muslim brother or Muslim sister what you love for yourself. يعني من لم يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه يكون إيمانه ناقصا. So the one who does not love for his brother or sister what he loves for himself, then that individual, his iman is deficient. It is deficient. There is some weakness within it. It is not complete. وَلَيْسَ الْمُرَادُ هُنَا أَخَاهُ مِنَ النَّسَبَ And another point to note is that when the hadith says that your iman will not be complete until you love for your brother what you love for yourself, the meaning of brother here isn't just your blood brother. Hadith doesn't just mean your own brothers and your own sisters. Your own blood brothers and sisters from the same parents or the same father or the same mother. It doesn't just mean that. Rather it means your brothers and sisters in Islam as a whole. Not just your own siblings and your own personal brothers and sisters at home in your family. But everyone Islam is a whole. بَلْ الْمُرَادُ بِأَخِيهِ كُلُّ مسلم. The point of saying his brother is every Muslim. لِأَنَّ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِخْوَةِ Because indeed the believers, they are brothers. كَمَا قَالَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى Just as Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةِ That indeed the believers, they are brothers. Indeed the believers, they are brothers. فَيُحِبُّ لِأَخِيهِ الْمُسْلِمِ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ مَا يُحِبُّ لِنَفْسِهِ so an individual therefore loves for his Muslim brother or sister what he loves for himself or what she loves for herself. لِأَنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ The Shaykh says, because the Muslims, نَفْسٌ وَاحِدَةٌ وَجَسَدٌ وَاحِدٌ The Muslims, they are one soul, one body. يَتَأَلَّمُ بَعْضُهُمْ لِأَلَمِ الْبَعْضِ that when some of the Muslims are harmed or hurt, then the other Muslims feel that harm and hurt. وَيَفْرَحُ بَعْضُهُمْ لِفَرَحِ الْبَعْضِ 
And when some of the Muslims, they find some goodness, and they find some joy and happiness, then the remainder of the Muslims, even though they themselves may not be experiencing that same joy or happiness, they feel it for the sake of their other brothers and sisters who do have it. So it is all connected in that way. وَيَتَبَادَلُونَ الْمَنَافِعَ بَيْنَهُمْ And the Muslims, they exchange between themselves that which benefits each other. They have cooperation with each other. As Allah said in the Qur'an, وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَىٰ And cooperate with each other upon unity, or upon righteousness and piety. Cooperate with each other upon righteousness and piety. And that is just as Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, وَاعْتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَلَا تَفَرَّقُوا and cling on to the rope of Allah, all of you together, and do not be disunited or separated. <coughs> and this unity of the Muslims, no doubt it is something principally speaking of great importance, that the Muslims be united, and that they be in a position of strength. But how does this unity occur, and how does the unity come about? How can the Muslims have honor and be in a state of strength? Then that unity that is being spoken about, which is a principle of Salafiyyah, to be united upon the truth, then that only occurs by uniting upon the one straight pathway, the one straight aqidah, manhaj, methodology. Unity cannot occur outside of that. If a person wishes to unite, or the Muslims wish to unite, but they will not agree on the one correct aqidah. They all want to have different aqidah. They all want to have different ways. They all want to have different mentalities, different ideologies. Then the unity will not occur in that way. Unity occurs just like the unity was with the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba and the Salaf. They had unity. But what was their unity based upon? It was based upon them all being upon one correct methodology. All of them being upon the same way that the Prophet ﷺ had taught them. That's what brought about the unity between them. That's what brought about the honor. The honor that they had and the strength that they had. That unity did not come about outside of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Nowadays the people, they say we want to unite. And we should unite and the Muslims should all come together. And you hear people like Al-Maghrib Institute talking about these things. All of the Muslims, we need to work together. That's in the Quran and the Sunnah, uniting and working together. But how? How does a person, how do the Muslims unite and come together and work together and be stronger? This is what Al-Maghrib and their likes and the Ikhwanis do not understand. Or even if they do, they choose to ignore it. Unity will not come about by pretending that it's okay for everyone to have whatever aqidah you want to have. And by saying that we will not speak about each other's different aqidah. Believe what you want. We're all Muslims. Let's just unite. It's not possible. If one person has one aqidah and another person has a completely different aqidah, then what is the basis of your unity? What are you going to unite upon? What are you going to unite upon? Two different people, they want to go to the restaurant to get some food. 
or a group of people, a bunch of people want to go to the restaurant to get some food. They say, khalas, all of us, let's go together. It's not nice, we all split up and some go there, some go there. Let's all of us go together, unite. So then they go and they sit down, but what's the basis of their unity? Some of them say, we want to have burgers, some say we want pizza, some say we want this, some say we want that. So then where's the unity gone now? How can they unite when they all want to eat something different and the takeaway doesn't provide that food? The purpose of saying that is that the unity of the Muslims, it comes upon that aqidah and methodology. Not like the way of the ikhwan al-Muslimin, they say, turn a blind eye to all of that. Like in this example, somebody said, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, just come, just come, let's unite. And when you get there, nobody can agree on what they want to order. The reality is the unity will come when the people are practicing the correct methodology. Indeed, this is my straight path, so follow it. There is only one methodology, there is only one pathway. It is not possible for a person to come along, an individual comes along and he believes that Abu Bakr and Umar were disbelievers, kuffar. Another one comes along and says, no, we believe they were Muslims. How are these two going to unite? Upon what basis? Another individual comes along and he says, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no names, has no attributes, Allah has no descriptions. Allah is not in the world, not outside the world. He comes with all types of distortions and all types of beliefs. Another individual comes along and says, No, Allah told us in the Quran, He has names. Allah has beautiful names. How can you say Allah has no names? So how are they going to unite? Upon what basis? One believes one thing about Allah, and the other one believes another, which is the correct aqidah of Ahl-Sunnah. Therefore, unity will only be when the people unite upon that common basis. The common basis which is the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Not for unity to occur blindly. You believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe. That unity is a false unity. It is a false unity. That's why the scholars and the Salaf, they used to say, the characteristic of Ahlul Sunnah, the characteristic and the description of Ahlul Sunnah, this is what the Salaf used to say hundreds of years ago, a thousand years ago, more than a thousand years ago. Those who were with the companions and after the companions, they used to say that the description or the characteristic of Ahlul Sunnah is that they are united. Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. They are our people of the Sunnah and congregated upon that truth. Whereas the characteristic and the description of the people of innovation, Ahlul Bid'i wal Furqah. That they are the people of innovation and splitting and separating. The people of innovation, they don't unite. They have all types of different beliefs and different aqidah, different mentality, different methodology, different opinions. Everybody wants to have his own opinion. That's why the Salaf, they used to say, those people, they are people of splitting and differing. Whereas Ahlul Sunnah, they unite upon the truth. Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. The jama'ah bit means that they are united and congregated and together upon the truth. So when we talk about these types of narrations, it's important to remember those things. Because often, you will see the likes of the ikhwan al-Muslimin and other people of that nature, they'll bring these ahadith to you as well, authentic narrations in Bukhari and Muslim, this hadith. But they will try to use these types of narrations for their falsehood. They will try to use these types of narrations to tell you, 
That forget about what everybody, aqidah is different, this, that, the other. Look at this narration. He says, love for your brother what you love for yourself. So even if he has different aqidah, he has different mentality, different methodology, he's not following the scholars, he's not following the Quran, Sunnah properly, it doesn't matter. Look, the hadith says, just love for him what you love for yourself. It isn't like that. These definitions and these de- uh, explanations that they give you, it is to try to continue upon that falsehood. The reality is unity will only come in one way. And that is the way that the Salaf were united. Upon the Quran and the Sunnah, practicing it in that one proper manner. Not doing whatever you want, believe whatever you want to believe, and let's just pretend we're all united. That isn't the reality and there isn't unity in that way. So we see the complete and utter disgrace of the likes of Al-Maghrib and their people who try to do this. They say it doesn't matter, we'll turn a blind eye to the aqidah, we'll stay quiet about those things. Let's just try to unite, unite. And the reality is they are upon different types of aqidah. They therefore have to stay silent on the people of innovation. And we've already learned before, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil is a characteristic of the believers. That is one of the reasons Allah said you are the best of the people because you enjoin the good and you forbid the evil. Yet these individuals, they say, let's just stay silent and unite. Unite upon what? They have no unity. This is the way of the people of innovation that they are split they are split. You may perceive them to be united. And in reality, they are all split amongst themselves. So here now, this narration or these ayat, إِخْوَى Indeed, the believers are brothers. And upon an individual is to love for his brother what he loves for himself. وَمِن لَازِمِ قَوْلِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ حَتَّى يُحِبَّ لِأَخِيهِ مَا يُحِبُّ لِنَفْسِهِ also, what we can understand from this statement of the Prophet ﷺ is when he said that you love for your brother what you love for yourself, that you also an yakrah al-Muslimu This also therefore means the opposite too. Then that you hate for your brother what you hate for yourself. If you hate something to happen to you and you don't want it yourself, then you hate for your brother to end up in that situation. Just like you love for your brother what you love for yourself, the good things, you hate that your brother should be in a situation of bad things, the same bad things that you hate for yourself. So what you hate for yourself, you hate for your brother. And what you love for yourself, you love for your brother. Now that, therefore, will explain what we've just been talking about. Because unity, it will only come upon the Quran and the Sunnah. So now if we know you have to love for your Muslim brother or sister what you love for yourself and hate for them what you hate for yourself, what is it that you love for yourself from the greatest of the affairs? And what is it that you hate for yourself from the greatest of the affairs? That which an individual loves for himself from the greatest of the affairs is to be guided and to be on the upright pathway. To be practicing the Quran and the Sunnah the way the Prophet ﷺ taught us. That is what an individual loves for himself. That is what will achieve the pleasure of Allah and the satisfaction of Allah. That is what will achieve the reward from Allah. So if that's what you love for yourself, you love that for your brothers too. And you hate for yourself that you be misguided. You hate for yourself to fall into innovation and bid'ah. So therefore you hate that your brothers and sisters from the Muslims should be falling into innovation and bid'ah. So if that is the case, what do you do? Then you enjoin the good and you forbid the evil. And you do as the narration we previously mentioned, الدِّينُ nasiha, The religion, it is purity and counseling and advising each other. Just like in Surah Al-Asr, when Allah said, وَالْعَصَرْ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسَرْ That by time, indeed, man is in loss. 
إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Except for those who have iman and do righteous actions, وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ And they counsel each other and advise each other with the truth. And they counsel and advise each other upon patience. That is what you are recommended or what you are required to do then. When you see your brother upon misguidance or you see your sister upon misguidance, you see the people being led astray by deviant individuals, then you don't sit there quietly and say, it's okay, let's just unite everybody, leave those things. If they want to believe that aqidah, let them believe it. What do you mean if they want to believe that aqidah, let them believe it? Do you not love for them the guidance which you are found, that rather not that you are found, but Allah has given to you? Do you not love for them the guidance too? How can you sit there and say, I know that my aqidah is correct, I know what my belief is, and if all these other people want to have their different aqidah, okay, let them have it. When you know in your heart that the aqidah you're upon, what you believe to be correct, that's correct. And you know what they are upon, there's mistakes. So how are you going to stay quietly and you know they are making mistakes? Have you loved for your brother what you love for yourself? If you don't advise them and explain to them. And from the same perspective, even refutations. Why do the scholars refute people? Why do the scholars say such and such an individual stay away from him? Even in these classes, you will have heard we've mentioned names of people sometimes. Some individuals, we've mentioned their names. Why? Is it because there is some personal agenda with those individuals? Nothing whatsoever. Some of them, maybe we have never met them in our lives. But we know of the deviance that they are upon. And we know of the evil that they are upon. And the misguidance that they place upon the people. The likes of those names that we mentioned before sometimes, Abu Hamza and these people, takfiris, these individuals who want to get the youth together into this takfiri mentality of attacking and war, uh, uh, causing harm and suicide bombs and whatever else. All of that type of mentality is wrong, it's incorrect. So we warn against them. Why? Loving for our brothers and sisters that they don't fall into this error. Just as Allah guided us and kept us safe from these errors, then we love for each other and our brothers and sisters that they be protected and they do not fall into these errors. And that is the purpose of advice. That is why an individual advises, that's from the criteria or the points of your intention, that you love for your brother or your sister to be guided to the truth. You love for the community to be upon the correct way as you have found or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has educated you with. It is not for the purpose of superiority or authority. And we covered this before once long time ago in Kun Salafin Al Jadda. That when you advise someone, it is not for the purpose of wanting authority for yourself or to show that I am bigger than you, I have more knowledge than you, I am superior to you. If an individual wanted to do that, he could do it. There are people out there, they have the ability. Somebody wanted to show that they are superior, they could do it. Maybe they've memorized more ayat than another individual. They've memorized more hadith than another individual. They've sat with the scholars and they've memorized narrations and all types of things more than other individuals. So maybe if they wanted to, they could easily sit there and make themselves superior to everyone else. But this isn't the way of giving advice. You don't give advice uh, amongst each other to make yourself superior and to show your own authority. Rather, advice is given sincerely for the sake of Allah. Loving for your brothers and sisters what you love for yourself. If you see an error amongst them, then you attempt to correct that error. Hoping and loving that they'll come back and unite upon the truth. This is what's required and this is what a person should strive upon. Not that an individual goes 
to purposely raise his own rank or status, to purposely want to bring his own situation into a greater position. That isn't the reality of advice and that isn't the reality of loving for your brothers and sisters. What you love for yourself and hating for your brothers and sisters, what you hate for yourself. So then the Shaykh says, فَكَمَا أَنَّكَ تَكْرَهُ لِنَفْسِكَ الشَّرْءُ وَالضَّرَرُ Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, just like you hate for yourself evil and harm. Just like you hate for yourself evil and harm. فَإِنَّكَ تَكْرَهُهُ أَيْضًا لِأَخِيكَ You therefore also hate that any evil or harm should overcome your brother or should overcome your sister. فَلَا تَتَنَاوَلُهُ بِشَرُّ وَلَا تَذُرُّ بِهِ وَلَا تَغُشُّهُ وَلَا تَخُونُهُ So the shaykh says, do not allow him to be overcome with this harm and do not deceive your brothers and sisters and do not cheat your brothers and sisters with this mentality of the ikhwanis of staying silent, allow everyone to be upon whatever they are. That isn't sincerity. That isn't loving for your brothers and sisters what you love for yourself. Aqeedah is one, the methodology is one. وَهَذَا دَلِيلٌ نَعْمٌ لِأَنَّكَ تَكْرَهُ هَذِهِ الْأُمُورِ لِنَفْسِكَ Because you hate these affairs of misguidance and error for yourself, therefore you hate them for your brothers and sisters. وَهَذَا دَلِيلٌ عَلَى كَمَالِ إِيمَانِ مَنْ اتَّصَفَ بِهَذِهِ الصِّفَةِ And this indicates therefore the perfection or the completeness of the iman of somebody who has this characteristic in of themselves. Somebody who has this characteristic in of themselves. And this hadith is from the Jawami'ul Kalim. Jawami'ul Kalim, meaning that the Prophet ﷺ was able to speak with very few words. And those very few words had very vast, great meanings. So look at this hadith now, barely five, ten words. لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه. And that's it. Yet the meaning of that hadith has vast understandings to it and great understandings to it. And this is what's mentioned from the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ, that he could speak with just a few words, yet the meanings were great. So in this we understand, وَمَنْ فَقَدَهَا فَإِنَّ إِمَانَهُ يَكُونُ نَاقِسًا Somebody who doesn't have this characteristic, they don't have this desire of loving for their brothers and sisters what they love for themselves, in terms of guidance, in terms of practicing salafiyyah in the proper manner, then that individual, his iman is deficient. It is not complete. فَفِيهِ الْحَثُّ عَلَى الْمُؤَاخَاءَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ This therefore has encouragement within it for the believers, for the Muslims to have brotherhood between themselves, for there to be brotherhood and sisterhood between the sisters, for them to be united upon the truth and for them to be united and working together upon this da'wah, in clarifying it to the people and in spreading it. That is what's required. Unity upon the way that the salaf were upon unity. Not any individual requiring for themselves or desiring for themselves any status or rank. وَعَلَى تَبَادُلِ النَّفْعِ الْمَعْنَوِي وَالْمَادِّي And that the Muslims, they aid each other, they help each other, whether it's in financial ways or physical ways, or other ways, whatever those ways may be, that there is help to each other, and there is cooperation upon goodness with each other. The shaykh says, from the greatest of the affairs, therefore, 
Bearing all of this in mind now, the greatest of the affairs that an individual could advise somebody with, هُنَاكَ مَا هُوَ أَعْظَمُ مِنْهُ There is something even greater than this, i.e. money and financial and other ways of helping each other and loving for each other, even greater than that. And the Shaykh says, this is the speech of the Shaykh now, أَنَّكَ إِذَا رَأَيْتَهُ If you see an individual, عَلَى مَعْصِيَةٍ Upon a sin, you see an individual committing a sin, tanhahu, then prohibit him, stop him from that. Watansahuhu, and you advise him, fima baynaka wa baynahu, between yourself and him. Advise between yourself and him. If you see somebody upon error, لِأَنَّكَ تَكْرَهُ لِنَفْسِكَ هَذَا الشَّيْفَ تَكْرَهُهُ لِأَخِيكَ Because you hate this for yourself to be upon sin or misguidance. So you hate that your brother should be falling into sin or misguidance. So you go and advise him sincerely, loving for him to be rectified and to come back to the truth. وَتُعَلِّمُهُ إِذَا رَأَيْتَ عَلَيْهِ جَهْلًا فِي أُمُورِ دِينِهِ وَتُبَيِّنُ لَهُ وَتُرْشِدُهُ And you educate him if you see that he has some ignorance with regards to certain affairs of the religion, maybe he's doing something not how it's supposed to be done, or he's not aware of how to do something. So educate each other what you know, from what you have understanding of, and explain to correct that affair. The Shaykh says, this is greater than helping each other with financially and those types of things. Love for yourself what you love for your brother, no doubt. Financially, somebody's in problem. If you're able to help them, help them. That's good. That's all part of it. But this is even greater, the Shaykh says. Helping somebody financially and those types of things, that's one thing. But helping somebody in their religion and getting them to be upright and helping them to become upright and practicing and leave sinning, that's even greater. Because the reward of that is in the hereafter. فَيَنْبَغِي أَنْ يَسُودَ هَذَا بَيْنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ so this is something which is befitting that it occurs and it spreads and it is done between the Muslims that they behave in this proper and accurate manner with regards to advising, with regards to loving for each other what they love for themselves. And that is a principle. It is a principle of Salafiyyah. It is a principle from the principles. Loving for the brothers and sisters what you love for yourself. Because an individual loves for himself guidance and he hates for himself misguidance. And so you love for your brothers and sisters guidance and you hate for them misguidance. So these are words of advice from the Shaykh regarding this hadith and this narration. Uh, in understanding that a person who sincerely rectifies their heart and is upon this characteristic, then that is a characteristic of perfecting your iman. It is a characteristic of correcting your iman. And so this type of knowledge and other affairs, it should be taught to the people and they should be educated regarding it. They should be educated regarding these affairs. Because the shaitan, he whispers. No doubt the shaitan, he whispers. Whispers to the people and leads them astray. And whispers to an individual that he needs to protect his honor and he needs to protect his own status and he needs to protect his rank. And he whispers to other individuals, other affairs in order to lead them astray. And in order for them to lose this angle or lose this aspect of loving for their brothers and sisters, what they love for themselves. So we ask Allah to make us from those who are able to implement and practice this hadith in the correct manner. 
Because indeed, as the Prophet ﷺ said, that is from the perfection of the iman of an individual. So we'll conclude upon that, and we have uh, some time if there are any questions, if we're able to answer them. And otherwise, inshallah, we'll continue next week at 7.30. Uh, so some people they say you shouldn't read books regarding manhaj because you're not going to be asked about these things in your grave or more specifically they'll say things like you shouldn't read refutations and uh, get involved in people refuting this one or that one or the scholars refuting this one or that one because you're not going to be asked about these things in your grave firstly some of the scholars have said just as a point along with the question. Some of the scholars have said, in the grave, how many questions are, go- are you going to be asked? Just three or are there more? Some of the scholars have said, it's a possibility there may be more than those three questions. Just as a side point linked to the question. Some of the scholars have mentioned, but those are the key points. Who is your Lord? Who is your messenger? And what is your religion? But some of the scholars have said, that doesn't necessitate that there will not be any other question whatsoever. Just as a side point to what you mentioned. Then on top of this issue regarding reading refutations or uh, understanding those types of affairs, then really it comes back to the statement of the Salaf and the methodology of the Salaf. When Ibn Sirin said, That indeed this knowledge that you are seeking, this knowledge that you are seeking, this knowledge you are trying to learn, it's knowledge of what? Is it knowledge about maths or physics or something? Or is it knowledge about your religion? Knowledge about Islam? Knowledge about Allah? Knowledge about the angels, the prophets, the books? That type of knowledge with that much importance which could decide, it will decide what your actions are, how you behave, how you worship Allah, what reward you get. All of this knowledge that you're seeking, is it not important for you to make sure that you are getting that knowledge from the right source. Is that not important? Imagine now somebody wants to have their child with a private maths tutor. Would you not make sure that you check the credentials of that tutor first? Check his qualifications. Has he got good qualifications or not? Has he got a degree in maths or not? You would check first. You wouldn't go and pay 20 or 30 pounds an hour and bring somebody who hasn't even got a GCSE in mathematics to tutor your child in maths. You wouldn't do that. That's ridiculous. So if that's with regards to worldly affairs, and even more than that, even more than that, your car is broken down, you want to take it to a mechanic. Are you going to take it to a garage where you know they are qualified mechanics and they'll be able to do the job? Or are you going to take it to some street place where it's illegal anyway and they mess up the cars anyway? Where are you going to take it? You'll take it to where you know it's going to be fixed. You're ill. You're ill and you need an operation or you need to see a doctor. When you book your appointment, where are you going to book it with? The doctor which you've been told or the surgeon you've been told, he's the best one, he's the professional. Or if you need serious surgery, are you going to say, we don't care, bring anyone, the cheapest one, whoever. Even if we know he makes all the mistakes and he's got a bad report and he was almost struck off, are you going to go to him? You go to the people that you trust and you know they'll give you the right thing. When it comes to these worldly affairs, So what therefore of something which is even greater than the worldly affairs, which is the religion of Allah, 
You don't just go to anybody. You don't just go to anybody who comes along and sits with a scarf and says, that's it, I'm a sheikh. He could be telling you all types of things which are incorrect. You have to know who they are. Is this person somebody who sat with the scholars? Is he somebody who's been, for example, he's been to a university, or he sat with the scholars, or he has recommendation from the scholars? Somebody who is known to teach the right way. That's the ones you go to for knowledge. Over and above that, for the ones who have the opportunity, you go directly to the scholars themselves. Go for the ones who understand Arabic, for the ones who have that ability, or they can go and learn and then sit. You go to the right sources. Refutations and these types of things now are a means of helping you to determine what those right sources are. They are a means of helping you to determine what those right sources are. If nobody ever told you that this individual or this group of people, their way isn't quite right. Based upon this sincerely loving for each other what you love for yourself, you advise people that this group and the way they teach is not right. They haven't really understood the proper Islamic principles. Or this particular individual, maybe one person, he may be a speaker, a lecturer, famous, but you know and the scholars know that he makes mistakes of how he teaches the people. Then you advise sincerely loving for your brothers and sisters what you love for yourself. You advise them this is incorrect and you need to know those things in order for you to know where to take your knowledge from. I'll give you an example. There's an individual and everybody's heard of him. An individual by the name of Anwar al-Awlaki. Everybody says, Sheikh, he has lectures on YouTube. He talks about the seerah of the Prophet He gives nice lectures and he talks about Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu and Umar anhu. And he gives all these beautiful lectures. The reality is, the reality is this individual is upon the mentality of the takfiris, the likes of the khawarij. How do we know? Because the scholars, they are aware of these things from his own evidences. He has videos where he says, I'm proud of people blowing up airplanes. Videos of his own recording, his own voice, interviews in Arabic and English, translated. He says, I'm proud of them going and blowing up these airplanes and everything. I'm proud of them killing innocent people. An interviewer once said to him, innocent people on the plane. He said, well, you can't get to the soldiers, so we have to take them down instead. This is his own voice recorded in Arabic interviews with Arab reporters. This is the reality of these people. Now when you know this is the reality of a person, then you tell people to avoid going to them. So we say very openly, don't listen to a single lecture from this individual. Doesn't matter how beautifully he makes his lectures. At the same time, behind your back when you don't know, in the Arabic language, when he's talking to Arab reporters and everywhere else, he's telling them, I'm happy they're blowing up airplanes, I'm glad they're killing them and everything. With his own voice. This is the way of the takfiris and the khawarij. So you have to be careful. You have to know who the people are who are genuinely upon the way of Ahl Sunnah and who are not. Not just to be confused, somebody gives a nice lecture, he must be good. No, where is he from? Is he somebody who has sat with the scholars? Sat with the scholars of Ahl Sunnah and learned from them. Is he somebody maybe who's been to a university? Is he somebody who has taskiyat from the scholars? Or are the scholars themselves? You know who the scholars are? Scholars of Ahl Sunnah, the great scholars of Ahl Sunnah now. Sheikh bin Baz, Sheikh Al-Albani, Sheikh Al-Thaymeen. The great scholars who have passed away, Sheikh Muqbal, Sheikh Ahmed Najmi, Rahimahumullah, great scholars who passed away. Now those who are alive straight after them, Sheikh Al-Fawzan, Sheikh Al-Haydan, Sheikh Rabia, Sheikh Ubaid. Many scholars alive now that you can go back to and seek that knowledge from and go to those who have studied with them 
This is possible now to seek knowledge in this way from those correct sources. Just as Allah said, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. So now the only way or for you to know where to take knowledge from, then that's the benefit you get from this. This is why the scholars will refute people and tell you to stay away from them. Not because the scholars have got some personal agenda with that person, not because they personally don't like him, because they know this person is misguiding. They know his opinions and his statements, they are misguiding. So they tell the people, be warned from him. Be warned from this individual, that individual, because it is not the pure source for you to take your religion from. And no doubt, you need to know what is that pure source to take your religion from. So it is not correct these statements that people make, don't, in, don't get involved with this or that. Don't get involved in people talking about this one or that one. If it is being done in the proper manner, sincerely for advice, to advise that this individual is incorrect and be warned from him because he's not teaching properly, sincerely done for the sake of Allah, then you of course accept that type of thing. You accept that speech. And you practice the religion properly and take the knowledge from where it is to be taken from and abandon it and do not take it from sources that are incorrect to take it from. Mm. Your knowledge based upon your knowledge. No, if once the knowledge comes, knowledge comes to you. Knowledge comes to you and evidences come to you. And you're aware of the evidences and the knowledge which has come from the scholars, the explanations, etc. You're aware of a particular issue. But then the shaitan whispers to you afterwards, but maybe this and maybe that and maybe this and maybe that. They don't, don't entertain that. As for if you haven't understood the issue properly in the first place, maybe there's an issue you didn't really understand it, so you're doubtful, I didn't get it. Does it mean this or does it mean that? Okay, in that situation, genuine. Seek more knowledge. Find out about that. Ask some questions more about that issue. But once you've understood something, then don't allow the shaitan to come whisper to you. It's like wudu. The scholars, they say, when you're making wudu, you're making wudu and you're certain of what you've done. And you've made your wudu properly. You're certain. Then you walk away and all of a sudden whispers come. Yeah, but wait, hang on a minute. Did I wash, did I wash the left hand or not? All of a sudden whispers come. And you know when you were doing it, you did it all correct and right. Now afterwards when whispers like that come, abandon those whispers. You know you were sat there, you did it properly, everything was all done, whispers come. Every, every time you finish your wudu, you turn the top off, a whisper comes. No, but wait, did I, did I do the fingers? Did, did I do this? Did I do that? Every time some people, for some people, every time, they finish wudu and the whispers are there after the wudu straight away. This type of person, now you abandon these whispers. Be certain, concentrate when you're making the wudu, be certain what you've done. Afterwards, those whispers, you leave them. And that's why they say, that if you're certain about something, doubt does not remove it. So for example, today now, uh, Isha, or before Isha, Maghrib at 4 o'clock, somebody made wudu at Maghrib, just before Maghrib, for example. You made wudu just before Maghrib, and you prayed Maghrib. Then Isha came now, an hour ago, and you were thinking, I definitely know I made wudu before Maghrib, and I prayed Maghrib, but I can't remember if I broke my wudu after that or not. You can't remember after Maghrib, did you break your wudu or not? So you're deciding, should I make it again now for Isha or not? So what's the ruling? You know for definite, before Maghrib you made wudu and you prayed Maghrib. Then after Maghrib you can't remember, did it break or not? So now, have you got wudu or not? You have wudu. In that instance, your doubt doesn't remove your certainty. You're certain you made wudu at Maghrib time. But then you can't remember afterwards, did you break it or not? 
You can't remember, it's just whispers. You broke it, you didn't break it. You know for certain you made it. You don't know for certain if you broke it. So the certainty cannot be removed with doubt. But with these types of affairs, you have to understand. If you didn't understand the issue properly, then search more and seek more knowledge. If you understood it and you know, then the whispers from the shaitan come, then leave those whispers. So we'll have to conclude, huh? huh? Talking about football match from the previous night, the performance of players and whatnot, Football matches, then ideally they should not be watched anyway. Talking about the players is even worse. Talking about the players and praising them. Some of them say such and such he performed really well and he put a good performance in and this and that and this goal and that goal. That is praising the disbelievers. Praising and recommending and having high respect for disbelievers. And that isn't correct. So this type of activity, it is not correct for you to do in the first place. To sit there and to watch these matches and then to talk about them for an hour or two afterwards and he played good and he didn't play good. It's not befitting of a believer to get engaged in that in the first place. We'll have to conclude because the time for the whole is over. Inshallah, next week we'll continue at 7.30. If the sisters can leave, so then we can leave afterwards.